0: Hello, and welcome to the Calvary Chapel Southeast podcast. Thank you for joining us for our study through the book of 1 Corinthians. This letter was written by the Apostle Paul to the struggling church in Corinth. They were allowing the culture to influence them more than they were impacting the world. As a result, the church was crumbling. Paul's strong words of rebuke and encouragement teach us many things about how we as believers should live in a dark and depraved world. Grab your Bibles and let's jump in.
1: If you have your Bibles, would you open them to 1 Corinthians chapter 12? 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I just want to say... um, it is just a privilege to be one of the pastors here, um, just to serve and to lead in this way. Very humbling, and um, but it, I'm so super grateful for the Lord's calling in this. Again, you have your Bibles open. I see that. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word, First Corinthians chapter 12? Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to the mute idols. However, you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus is accursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of ministries, but the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, and to another the effecting of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another the distinguishing of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another, the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually, just as he wills. You may be seated. Can I just pray once more, just for our time? Father, we just come before you. Just, we come before your word. Lord, it's your word that we, we need in our hearts, we need in our lives. And we just pray that by your Spirit, you would speak to us. Just be present here, Lord. I'm just aware of just how much the enemy wants to divide and distract this morning. But Lord, we pray that your voice would be louder. Lord, that our hearts would be attentive and in tune to, to hear from heaven today. And so just, God, I pray you would put your words in my mouth for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, we're going to be talking a little bit, or a lot bit, about the Holy Spirit. And many people are divided on the Holy Spirit. Many people, maybe, maybe some in this church, you know, don't, don't fully agree on doctrine just teachings concerning the Spirit, concerning the gifts of the Spirit. And perhaps maybe even some of you this morning have different opinions or understandings of who the Spirit is, like who is the Holy Spirit, and what are the functions of the Spirit, Many of you, perhaps, have experienced the Holy Spirit in powerful ways, and you just long for more. While others of you have maybe seen some abuses happen in the name of the Spirit, and you're like kind of skeptical about all of it. And from my perspective, you know, I, I've been, I grew up going to church, in the church. My perspective is that many people typically, they respond to the work of the Holy Spirit in extreme ways, right? There's always the ends of the spectrum. You have some that um, people would obsess over the Holy Spirit if you can do such a thing. Like the Holy Spirit is the only thing that they want to talk about. Everything comes back to the Holy Spirit and it kind of ends in expressions that seem weird or um, just odd to other people when they're looking at it. But then others see that and they don't obsess over the Holy Spirit. They kind of want to avoid the Holy Spirit altogether. They've seen, again, some of that, and and they just want to distance themselves, kind of write it off as emotionalism. And so they back off, and they overreact to it in that way. But here's the deal for us as a church. We don't want to necessarily obsess over the Spirit in an unbiblical way. But we also don't want to avoid the Spirit out of reaction to others. But for us, we should want to embrace, notice this, a biblical understanding of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. So I know many of you, you might approach this conversation this morning and the ones coming up in the next few weeks with much hesitation, caution maybe, skepticism, but here's the deal. I want to challenge you to be open to the moving of the Holy Spirit in your life and in our church. But I don't want to stop there. Some of you this morning, you might say you're open to the Holy Spirit. You believe it all biblically. But I want us to move from just a mere openness to the Spirit to expectancy of the Spirit. Believing that God is with us. He has poured out his Spirit upon us. And we can genuinely, genuinely experience the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives today and in our church. You know, a couple of people have asked me throughout the years, and even recently. You know, is Calvary Chapel, or are we, a charismatic church? It's a good question, and maybe you've asked that question. Like, are we a charismatic church? Let me say this: The, the the there's a Greek word charisma, and it's where we find the English word the English word charismatic from. And that word charisma simply means gift. And so, in the sense of embracing the gifts of the Holy Spirit, I want to say that, yes, indeed, in that, in that regard, we are a charismatic church. We are charismatic in the way that we believe in the Holy Spirit. We do. We embrace the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And some Christians, and, you know, we've probably said this in the past, and I was thinking of different ways. I grew up in a Calvary Chapel, that we're charismatic with a seatbelt on, right? Like, <laughs> Like, we believe in the Holy Spirit, we believe in the gifts, but, you know, there's some weird stuff out there, right? And we're just going to play it safe over here. So we're charismatic with a seatbelt. Well, well, listen, I want to change the way that we think about this. I want to change the way that I even think about this. Like, I don't want to be, you know, think about us being charismatic with a seatbelt maybe an airbag just in case, you know, like something bad happens. But, and I don't know exactly how we go about this, but I want to take the seatbelt off, if you will. And here's why. I don't want, as your pastor, as a pastor here, I don't want to restrict the moving of the Holy Spirit. I don't want to approach this topic out of fear and caution just because I've seen Things kind of go awry in certain tribes and certain churches. But I want us to have a biblical approach and a biblical understanding when it comes to the Holy Spirit. Listen, we want to come to this conversation with faith and expectation. Leaning in, saying, God, we believe you're here. We believe you're dwelling with us. We believe that you can do anything. We believe that there's power in your spirit. And so again, in the next several weeks, we're going to look at chapters 12, 13, and 14, and we're going to be walking through this together, and we're going to see what does it mean to truly be filled with the Holy Spirit, and how do do we use the gifts that he's given us to build up the church. So let's dive right in. Look at verse 1. Paul says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. Now, this is that introductory kind of statement to the next couple of chapters. And Paul, remember, Paul is responding to a a list of questions that the church in Corinth had, and he's responding to things in the church that were getting messy, you know, somehow... Things about the Holy Spirit where they were getting kind of showy with their spiritual gifts, especially with the gift of tongues. And, And so Paul is responding to them to help them to understand what does it look like to truly be empowered by the Holy Spirit as a church family? And so that was their context. Paul's writing to this church about what's going on. And he says, I don't want you to be unaware. Like, I don't want you, some of your translation says this, I don't want you to be ignorant. In other words, I want you to know about spiritual gifts and to have an intimate, experiential, like, knowledge of them. And listen, I believe that the Lord desires the same thing for us in 2022, to not be unaware, to not be ignorant, and maybe even avoiding this conversation because it might make us a little uncomfortable But my heart for us is not just to come to this place about having sound doctrine about spiritual gifts. And that's incredibly important. We must understand what God's word, the entirety of Scripture, says about spiritual gifts. But the ultimate goal for us, again, is to not just understand spiritual gifts, but to experience the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what I want for us. That's what I want for my life. I'm desperate for that. And so as we walk through this passage this morning, I'm going to try and answer three important questions. So if you're note takers, you're going to write, want to write these down. They're also going to be on the screen. But the first question is this, who is the Holy Spirit? Now that is actually the key question to all of this. And you might not, you know, you'll be reading through this, and you might not think that when you see, look at this passage, oh, that's what we're going to spend our time talking about. But, but when we talk about spiritual gifts, let me be very clear when I say this, it's not about you, okay? It's easy to take this topic and the topics to come and, and be like, my spiritual gifts, Listen, it's not about you and it's not about me. And listen to this, it's not even about the gifts in and of themselves as if we should be obsessing over mercy and healing and knowledge and tongues and administration and all these other kinds of gifts. Listen, those are all super important and we're going to see that in the weeks to come. But again, it's not about you. It's not about me. It's not even about the gifts. Listen, it's ultimately about God, the Holy Spirit, who is at work in our lives. It's about his power to accomplish his purpose in his church. And so what I'm most excited about for this section of Scripture is not just to understand the gifts, that's important, and I'm looking forward to diving in, but for you and I to experience God, the Holy Spirit. Listen, it would be tragic, tragic, if every week in this, in this next few weeks, you just left the church building and you were obsessing over, oh, these are my gifts, my spiritual gifts. No, no, no. I want us all to walk away saying, we have the spirit of God. You see, the spirit empowers us. The spirit influences us and he leads us. And the reality is that we're all being led by something in life. Some of you you're, not, you, you're not a follower of Jesus. You're led by social media. You're led by Fox News or CNN. You're led by your political leader or whatever, a celebrity. Like, we're all being led by something. And, and actually, we see that in verse 2. Paul says to the church in Corinth, you know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to the mute idols, however you were led. So two times, notice, in this verse, he talks about what used to lead them. And he's referring to their former spirituality for them, which was Greek paganism, mythology, belief in all these other kind of gods. You know, they were celebrating at the temples, eating all the meat that were sacrificed to them. And so they're coming to this conversation now in the church with that understanding of spirituality. And so Paul here, he's simply reminding them, hey, remember your past idolatry, your your pagan worship. And in essence, he's saying... All that time in your former life, right, way of living, you spent worshiping those pagan idols. All of that time did not prepare you for the true spirit, the Holy Spirit. So he's saying, okay, Corinth, okay, here's what we need to do. I don't want you to be unaware. I know you come come with a lot of baggage, a lot of false understanding of spirituality, but I need you to set it all aside. I need you to put it away so we can relearn some things. That's what he's talking about. So, again, who is the Holy Spirit? Let's come back to that question. Now, I'm not gonna this morning give an exhaustive breakdown on the Holy Spirit. I would encourage you if you want to learn more about the Holy Spirit, there's this great book Pastor Chuck Smith of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa wrote. It's called Living Water. I was just in my office this morning, just continuing reading through it. It's a great resource, and he talks about the Holy Spirit, and he really develops. And, and for those of you who have attended Pastor Doug's like, Holy Spirit series, he bases it on this book. It's very well done. Uh, so I'd encourage you to pick up a copy. But first of all, the Holy Spirit, to answer that first question, is the third person in the Trinity. The Trinity, again, is the doctrine that there is one God who eternally exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, I want you to notice it, is that I said that the Holy Spirit is the third person person of the Trinity. He's not a thing, okay? The Holy Spirit is not an it. He doesn't um, have a leading role in the Star Wars movies, okay? Like, he's not a force. He's a person. Did you know, the Bible tells us, did you know that you can grieve the Holy Spirit? Ephesians chapter 4. Did you know that you can lie to the Holy Spirit? Like, you can't lie to your car, well, maybe you can. You'd be like, "You're going to be a smart car today. Like, gas prices are crazy. Please be a smart car." Like, you know, you, you you can lie to the Holy Spirit. It's a person. You can you can resist the Holy Spirit. That's Acts chapter seven. You can blaspheme the Holy Spirit again. You can know the Holy Spirit, and the, and the Spirit is not listen. The third wheel of the Trinity, right? Like, he often gets left behind by many Christians. He's not the third wheel of the Trinity. He's fully God. But I want to go a step farther and say this, that the Holy Spirit is the power and presence of God in our lives. So the Spirit is the presence of God. God dwells within us through his Spirit. Every single believer, anyone of you who has put your faith and trust in Jesus as Lord, is sealed with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, again, is God who dwells in us, empowers us to be like Jesus, both in character, that's the fruit of the Holy Spirit, but also in service, and that's through the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And so the Spirit, again, is the presence of God. He's the power of God. And I think how tragic It is for many believers to go through this life apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. And maybe that's your story. Maybe you're still struggling with the same sin that you were five years ago, and you're not learning the Word of God. You're feeling stuck, and perhaps you're even thinking to yourself, well, maybe this whole God thing just isn't for me, right? It's not working. It's broken. Or yet, listen... Maybe it's because you're not connected to the power of the Holy Spirit. And We see this throughout the Bible, the power of the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 4.20, we saw, For the kingdom of God does not consist in words, but in power. Romans 15.13, Paul says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. First Corinthians 2.4. And my message, Paul says, and my preaching, were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Ephesians 3.16, that he would grant you, Paul says, according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with the power through, the, through his spirit in the inner man. So the Holy Spirit is the power of God in our lives. And again, how tragic to think that we rely so often on our own strength we falter in our own strength. We grow tired t- tired in our own strength, all the while having the power, the greatest power in all of the universe here readily available to us and in faith in us. And Paul says in verse three, Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus is accursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now this is super important for us because he's talking about the Holy Spirit and then he starts talking at the end there about Jesus. And a lot of believers, they don't know how the Holy Spirit relates to Jesus, you know, the Son. And so it can either feel like it's the Spirit or it's Jesus. And we're like, okay, are we a Holy Spirit church or are we a, a Jesus church? And they're kind of at odds with each other. But but I want you to notice this morning that the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit and Jesus are inseparable in the mission of God. And I wanted to show you this in several ways. Number one, that the Holy Spirit empowered Jesus for his ministry. You know, in the Old Testament, you know, the, 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 the prophecy and talk of the Messiah that would come was the anointed one. And the one who is anointed by the Spirit of God to accomplish the mission of God. And Jesus is that Messiah. He came as that Messiah. You know, I'm thinking through the study that Pastor Doug did in Luke. Thorough study. And we saw clearly that everything that Jesus did, he was led and he was empowered by the Holy Spirit. Did you know Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit? Jesus was driven into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. Jesus was, he casted out demons by the power of the Spirit. He performed miracles by the Spirit. Jesus lived a perfect life by the Spirit. He offered his life unto death by the Spirit. And the same Spirit rose him from the grave. The Spirit empowered Jesus for his ministry. And we see that clearly from the very beginning. Man, for those of you who were here yesterday, we looked at this in Luke chapter 4 the very beginning of his ministry, Jesus goes to the temple, pulls out the scroll of Isaiah, and he says this, Luke 4, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who were oppressed and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And so Jesus in that verse is laying out his mission right? This is what I'm, I'm all about. This is what I'm going to do. But don't forget, don't forget how it all began. It was all done by the power of the Spirit of God. So the, so the Spirit empowered Jesus for ministry. Secondly, the Spirit reveals Jesus to his people, John chapter 16, Jesus says this to his disciples, but when he, the Holy Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth for he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will disclose to you what is to come. Now listen to this. This is Jesus speaking. He will glorify me for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. In other words, the Holy Spirit doesn't point to himself, but he points to Jesus. His role, the role of the Holy Spirit, is to put a spotlight on the person and work of Jesus Christ, to glorify Jesus. So the Spirit reveals Jesus to his people. Next, the Spirit empowers the church to be a witness for Jesus. And we see that in Acts chapter 1, the beginning of the church. Jesus gathers his disciples together. He told them, hey, don't leave here until you receive first power from on high. He's telling them, I'm gonna send you out to be on mission for me, but don't do it in your own strength, right? Don't do it in your own power. Acts 1.8, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and even into the remotest parts of the earth. Jesus gives the church a mission to be a witness for Christ in word and deed. But he says, don't even try. Don't even dare try to do it in your own strength. He says, the Spirit will come upon you and empower you to be that witness. And that's exactly what happens. You read the book of Acts, that's exactly what happens on Pentecost. The Spirit of God falls on the people. They're empowered. And throughout that whole book, you see people witnessing for Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. Again, guys, we saw this yesterday, Luke Forchette's message. The boldness of all that. I recognize them as being men of Jesus. They were testifying of who Jesus is through the power and the boldness the Spirit gave them. And then lastly, the Spirit gives believers To do ministry like Jesus. And this leads us back to 1 Corinthians 12. Paul says, we're going to talk about spiritual gifts here, Corinth. But he says, no one can say Jesus is Lord apart from the Holy Spirit. Did you guys notice that? So he's showing again how the Son and the Spirit are inseparable. And so when, when he's talking about being empowered by the Spirit for the work of ministry, he's saying so that you could do ministry like Jesus, like what Jesus did. And again, listen, to be truly Christ-centered, a Christ-centered church, I, 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 that is our heart and that is our prayer. In order to be a Christ-centered church, we have to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Paul says again, again, in verse 3, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And, and to truly be a Spirit-empowered church, which I pray that we are, then we, will, then we have to be empowered by the Spirit in His purposes, which is what? To exalt Jesus, to put the spotlight on Jesus, to, and to, to build up the church of Jesus. Listen, if you in your life have said ever one day, which I hope you have, Jesus is Lord, Paul's saying, you have the Holy Spirit. You are filled with the Holy Spirit. Like, that's incredible. So again, the first question is, who is the Holy Spirit? Not an exhaustive list. The second question, though, that we're going to see or come to is what are spiritual gifts? Look at verse 4. Verse 4 Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. Now notice, I, I bet you notice, but notice the repetition of the words varieties and same. He's saying there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit, same God. And we learn from these verses that God is the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Did you see that pattern in these verses? There's a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit, Holy Spirit. There's a variety of ministries, but the same Lord, right? The Lord Jesus Christ. There's a variety of effects, but the same God, the Father, So I want you to notice that the source, the source of our spiritual gifts is the triune God himself. Also notice in these same verses how he talks about the gifts. He says there's a variety of gifts. He calls them ministries. He calls them effects or the ESV says activities. You see, these gifts allow us to serve and do the Lord's work. That's what spiritual gifts are designed for. So what are spiritual gifts? Let me clarify something. Spiritual gifts are not a substance that just falls from the sky. We must understand that in giving the spiritual gifts that God is not granting something that is external to himself. I want you to know that. He's not giving us stuff. He's not giving us a thing. Listen, the Holy Spirit himself is the gift. God, that is God dwelling in us, empowering us. That is the gift. Someone, one Bible commentator said this, a spiritual gift is when the Holy Spirit manifests his presence and imparts his power into and through individual believers to enable them to exceed the limitations of finite finite humanity so that they might faithfully and effectively fulfill certain ministry tasks for the building up of the body of Christ. Another person describes spiritual gifts like this. Spiritual gifts are God-given abilities to do what we could not do in our own strength. So it's a God-given ability. It's not stuff that we receive from God. This isn't Santa Claus who comes down the chimney, drops off some gifts, and then leaves, okay? We're talking about a God, listen, who gives himself to us who indwells within us, who empowers us to be able to serve him for his glory. He's going to say in verse 11, but one and the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. So we're talking about the way that God empowers us. And in verses 8 through 10, if you notice in your Bible, it talks about gifts. You have gifts like wisdom and knowledge and and healing, prophecy, tongues, and and next week. We're going to take time. We're not going to look at the gifts of the Spirit this week. We're going to take time next week and walk through those gifts and a bunch more that we find in Scripture. And I'm going to explain them all next week. I'm going to walk through them, define them, and go into more detail. But what I want you to see this morning is that each of those areas of those gifts are ways that God empowers us. And some of those gifts, God is dwelling within us and empowering us in in areas that maybe we already had a natural giftedness or talent in those certain areas, right? If if someone was a good leader, a good business leader, for, for instance, right? And they just led well, but then they get saved. They become empowered by the Holy Spirit. And now they have this gift of leadership to be used for the glory of God and maybe to even the Holy Spirit would empower them for more leadership ability to do what they could never do, even through, you know, an eight-year degree could give them. The Holy Spirit can just um, increase and strengthen the natural gift that he'd already given them. So that, that that happens. And we see that. You know, you see musicians, they're, they're just naturally gifted, but, man, they get saved. And then all of a sudden, man, they have an anointing on them to lead people into mu- worship music, declaring the worth of God. And you see this, and I can go on and on. With that. That's going to be next week. But sometimes, some of these gifts are giving to someone who didn't, didn't possess naturally, and it's like this new gift for them, right? And we see that in prophecy, and we see that a lot in tongues. Like, you didn't just have a gift. Well, maybe you had a gift of tongues, like pre, pre-Jesus, but it meant nothing, right? Like, you're just a babbler or whatever. But um, the gift of tongues and the gift of prophecy are an example of just how the Spirit can just impart you, to you new gifts. But for now, <laughs> that's next week. I want you to understand what spiritual gifts are. They're God-given abilities to do what we could not do in our own own strength. So that leads to the question then, what is the purpose of spiritual gifts? That's a great question. You're like, I don't know if I want spiritual gifts. Like, what's the purpose? Let's let's find this out. Verse 7. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit, he says, for the common good. Again, spiritual gifts are not given for my own personal profit. They are meant to build up and encourage the body of Christ. He says, this is for the common good. This is for serving one another, building our brothers and sisters up in Christ. Again, so spiritual gifts are God-given abilities to serve the body of Jesus Christ. That's what what it's about. It's God empowering us to serve one another in love, to serve one another by caring for them and to build up the body. And, And we really need to understand the purpose of the gifts. Because many people want the gifts without the purpose. And I liken it to this. Say someone... Came to you with a gift. Maybe it's a brand new car. Maybe it's your, your dream car. There it is, man, looking so beautiful. Your favorite color, just bow on top in your driveway. They hand you the keys and you're just so excited about it. Yes, like I've been wanting this car. I didn't think I'd ever get this car. Like, what a gift. And then they say this, but I'm giving you this for a specific purpose. Like this car is for the purpose of of you driving homeless people around in Portland, right? (laughs) No, (laughs) like I want the gift without the purpose of the gift. That's just a minor example. (laughs) (laughs) But that's what happens oftentimes when people think of spiritual gifts. We want the gifts of the Spirit uh, maybe sometimes detached from the purpose of the gifts. God, would you empower me, you know, with this great gift, this great thing, this one gift, Lord, would you give it to me? This is the one gift that I know the body will appreciate, not those other ones, Lord, this one. And then, Lord, I'm going to use it for your glory through my own agenda. (laughs) And God's like, "No, no, 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 I'm empowering you. I'm empowering you in supernatural ways, greater than you could ever do in your own strength, But it comes with a clear purpose, and that's to serve others, not to glorify yourself. It's to serve and to love one another. The gift, again, comes with a purpose. And so to seek the gifts is to be about building up the body of Jesus Christ. And Paul will say in chapter 14, verse 12, So also you, since you are zealous of spiritual gifts, he says, seek to abound for the edification of the church. And so when, you, when we talk about spiritual gifts, we don't obsess about them and saying, my gifts, my car. The gifts are not for me. They're not for you. They come through you. And they're for the edification, he says, of the body of Christ. And they're for all of us. In verse 7, he says, but to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit. When we talk about the empowering work of God in our lives to do far more than we could ever imagine or think in our own strength, listen, this is not just for apostles and pastors and teachers, right? This is for everyday believers, for you and for me. This is for ordinary people. There's no tears. There's no levels of Christianity that, are, that are, Christians are more worthy of these spiritual gifts. No, no, no. Listen, if you have been filled with the Holy Spirit, you have been given spiritual gifts for the purpose of building up the body of Christ. Each one of you. Not just Josh. Not just the guys on stage. But every single one of you. And God desires, listen church, to do extraordinary things through ordinary people who rely on his power. Amen? Now, as we close, because I want to give us some time to respond, I want to say it one more time. Spiritual gifts aren't about us. They're not even ultimately about the gifts themselves. Spiritual gifts are ultimately about God. And one of the things that we learn about from the Lord through spiritual gifts is, listen, is that God is a giver. He's a giver. God is generous. He doesn't hold back. He he spoils his children. He delights, the Bible says, in giving. He's not a reluctant giver. He's not a stingy giver. But he gives so many gifts. But listen, the greatest gift that God has ever given to us is salvation in Jesus Christ, his son. Romans 8.32 says, he who did not spare his own son, right? He didn't hold anything back. But he delivered him over for us all. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? He's saying God didn't even hold back his own son for you. How, how will he not give us all things in Christ? So the question is, you know, it's, it, it, <laughs> if you ever question, is God ever holding something back? Is he holding out on me? Is God just dragging, you know, dangling something in front of me to make it hard? Listen, listen, look to the cross of Jesus Christ. Look to Jesus, look to Jesus and remember that you have everything that you need in Jesus Christ, the son. And if we have the Son, then we have all in him. Jesus lived a perfect life. He died on the cross so that we could be reconciled back to God. Are you grateful for that? He rose up from the grave so that we can have new life, the abundance of life through him. But that's not the end of the story. That's a great story. But then he ascended to the right hand of the Father, and he sent us the Holy Spirit. You know, Jesus said, it's better that I would leave. Could you imagine the disciples were like, what, Jesus? <laughs> we need you. But Jesus is like, no, it's better because I'm going to send you. And I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm going to send you the helper, the paraclete. He's going to be in you. He's going to come upon you. So Jesus, the right hand of the Father, he sends us the Holy Spirit to empower you, to empower me, the church, to carry on the mission of Jesus. We have a mission before us, church. So it's good news that Jesus has come for us and that he sent the Spirit to dwell within us. And our job, here's our responsibility, we just respond to that in faith. We respond to God's grace with faith. You know, faith is the channel through which the power flows. And of course, God can do anything apart from our faith. He's not limited to our faith. But his normal way of working is that his power flows through our faith as we depend on him. I think of 2 Corinthians 4, 7, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not of us. And next week, we'll learn more about the gifts and the ministries of the Holy Spirit You know, recently, I have two minutes. Recently, I've been thinking a lot about the Jesus movement that happened in the late 60s and 70s. It's known as the last great American revival. There's actually a movie coming out about it. It's called The Jesus Revolution Um, next year. And I think in February, it's going to be a great movie. I've already seen it. And I'm, and I've, and I wouldn't, I'd call myself a student of the Jesus movement just because I'm fascinated. So I've watched every documentary, I've tried to read almost a lot of the books, especially what happened in Southern California. And then I know he moved in the East Coast and another place in Texas. But when I think about the Jesus movement, I sometimes wonder, you know, to to myself, what must have it been like? What was it like for them to be there, to see just, and witness the Holy Spirit falling upon a, you know, just a very small church in Southern California. A church who is open and ready to receive and be empowered with the Holy Spirit. And you're just watching thousands upon thousands upon thousands of young people get saved. Like, this is a mighty move of God. Thousands upon thousands were getting baptized. Churches, thousands of churches, I kid you not, planted. And over 50 years later, you and I are still receiving from the fruits of what Jesus did in the 1960s and 70s in Southern California. You're sitting here today. It's a fruit of what Jesus did then. But here's the thing that I think about and ask myself. Ryan, am I just content hearing about the Jesus movement? Am I just content about hearing about what God used to do? Or what would it be like for us today, church, Calvary Chapel Southeast, to pray, to cry out to God, believing that God is powerful and can do anything? What would it be like if we prayed for us to cry out for revival in our church, in our city, in our world? What would it look like? What, you know, I, my prayer is that we would experience the power of the Holy Spirit. We can't fabricate this. Our flesh struggles with that because I'm like, man, if we can just fabricate revival, that would be amazing. Call the news. Call the magazines. Like, we're, you know, like there's going to be revival. No, we can't do it. We desperately need to cry out for the Holy Spirit to just fall upon us once again in powerful ways. Oh, that we would experience the Spirit of God convicting us of sin. That we would walk in repentance. That we would become witnesses, bold witnesses for Jesus, like we we heard yesterday. Bold as lions for Jesus. And church, what would it look like for us to have a revival of the power of the Holy Spirit that leads us to being empowered to serve one another? to care for one another, to love one another, to build up one another, to exhort each other, to encourage each other. Listen, only God can do that work. But we can come before him, not just with an openness, but with expectancy. Not just with a, God, I know you can do this, but God, will you do this? I'm expecting Saying, Holy Spirit, come, move in our midst. May we be a spirit empowered church. Amen.
0: Thanks for listening to this week's study in the book of 1 Corinthians. If you're ever in the Portland area, we would love to have you visit for one of our services. For more information about our church, you can visit our website at ccseportland.com. We hope you've been blessed by this study. Stay tuned for our next series coming soon.